0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. Mitchell Langbert. He's a friend of mine and lives in the same town of Olive, as I do. And uh, Dr. Langbert is Associate Professor of Business at Brooklyn College. And Dr. Langbert, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks for coming.
1: The feeling's mutual, Dan.
0: You know... um, Today we're going to be talking about a very interesting subject related to the UN and something called Agenda 21. But before we get started with that, I was reminded of something that my father-in-law used to do on his car. And you know how people put bumper stickers on their cars and he would just put a single bumper sticker depending on what the issue is that he wanted to speak to. And um, this is quite a while ago, uh, before my wife and I were married. Uh, I was a younger man, perhaps even in my late teens. And Deb's dad, my future father-in-law, used to have this bumper sticker on his car in those days. And uh, this particular one that caught my eye said this. It said, Get us, meaning U.S., out of the U.N. Get U.S. out of the U.N. And uh kind of scratched my head, what is that all about? I pondered it. As I grew a little older, I became a little more aware of government, how this world works. I s- slowly started to appreciate what he was trying to communicate there on that bumper sticker, and that is, get the U.S. out of the U.N. And uh, So today we're going to talk about the United Nations and their um, intense interest in this so-called sustainable development movement that they are promoting. And so um, I don't even know where to start exactly, uh, Dr. Langbert, but maybe we can talk about what is, maybe first, what is the UN?
1: The UN is an international organization that was founded right after World War II. Its original model was the League of Nations that Woodrow Wilson advocated in the post-World War One period, and the U.S. Congress decided not to join the League of Nations. And subsequently, after World War Two, the United Nations was put forward at a time of great trauma. It was the same period when we adopted several international organizations, what's now called the World Trade Organization. At that time, it was called the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade. And the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and the Bretton Woods uh, Monetary Agreement, which established the dollar as the reserve currency. So they were all organized around the same time, and the land for the U.N. was donated by the Rockefeller family. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, um, certainly in those days, my my father-in-law was concerned about the U.N. As I've grown older, I'm getting concerned about the U.N. And I, I did some, you know, looking up on the Internet, and uh, I learned that the United States is the largest contributor to the U.N. It pays about 22% of the U.N.'s budget. Um, one of the references said that in 2010 we paid $7.69 billion. Um, after us, after the U.S., is Japan. They're 10.8%. Germany, 7 France, 5.5%, etc. But there was one thing that caught my eye, too, was that it said that countries that together pay less than 1.3% of the total are able under UN voting rules to pass the budget over the objections of countries that contribute a combined 98%. So I'm starting to feel like, wow, our hands are really tied here, being a member of the UN, paying that much money, and yet not having too much of a say.
1: Most of the government members of the U.N. are dictatorships and totalitarian governments. And for a long time, the viewpoints in the U.N. bureaucracies have been opposed to freedom and capitalism and Mm the Lockean philosophy on which America was traditionally based. So I I don't think the U.N.'s bureaucracy has been helpful at all to those of us who believe in freedom. And Mm -hmm. um, I I think the UN is problematic for a variety of reasons. For example, the member governments, although they do not contribute to the budget, they often sponsor parties for their delegates. Each night at the delegates assembly or several times a week, there's a an embassy party and these parties cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So these governments with starving citizens are contributing to these caviar and champagne type parties for hundreds and hundreds of people. I've attended one while uh, their own citizens go hungry. And this is the kind of thing. The UN is certainly an elitist organization and it's increasingly reflected the corporatist interests Mm In uh, the world economy. Mm. And I think Agenda 21 is a reflection of that kind of orientation.
0: Mm. Now let's talk about Agenda 21. Um, there was a meeting, I think it was back in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro, uh, where some paperwork was signed. Unfortunately, our own President uh, Bush at that time, H. Herbert you know, George Herbert Bush, uh, Herbert, signed Walker, right. Herbert Walker, <laughs> sorry, I get it, McDo- signed some paperwork that um, I wish he hadn't signed, frankly.
1: Yes, the Bushes have been involved, and so has the Rockefeller family from mm-hmm. day one, who are linked to the Bushes. The great-grandfather was an employee of uh, John D. Rockefeller's mm. brother. And uh, the UN Agenda 21 philosophy is that the world economy is based on a zero-sum game. If you read the document, which is available on the UN website, and UN Agenda 21 is is not a conspiracy. I want to be completely clear. Sometimes when people bring up Agenda 21, Mm -hmm. people say, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy. It's a treaty, and it's readily available on the UN website. So Mm -hmm. you can find it easily and read it and what it basically talks about is the importance of globalization and the importance of the rich countries making sacrifices of their wealth to the poor and it makes an assumption that the reason the rich countries are rich and the poor countries are poor is because the rich countries have exploited the poor countries this is complete nonsense yeah that's Uh, a key
0: point there uh, yes.
1: the, the u n does not offer an intelligent economic model to uh, the world and so the uh, the agenda twenty one document is riddled with economic fallacy and ignorance and mm-hmm. i think that's the real that's the real underlying problem mm-hmm. now what's happened with agenda twenty one is that it's being implemented in each country and this is this goes back to the president's Council on Sustainability under Clinton, even though it was signed under Bush. It was in 92, late in the Bush administration, and Clinton was the first president to really carry it through. And they've funded initiatives for decades, and part of this has been educational programs co-funded by corporate sponsors. So firms like DuPont and AT&T have co-funded quote-unquote educational programs about the corporatist, economically illiterate agenda in Agenda 21. And what what they basically advocate is ever tighter controls on construction, on the production of chemicals and uh, other things unrelated to global warming. It's mostly mm-hmm. not going to have much of an impact on global warming. And yet, the, you know, they rationalize it using global warming and – Uh, They talk about things like, uh, if you look at their training materials that that they've funded in the U.S., they they talk about things like uh, building multi-use buildings in urban centers. The recent construction of 100-square-foot apartments, Mm -hmm. 10-by-10-foot apartments in Manhattan by Michael Bloomberg is related as well. So, in other words it's th- 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 these things have been heavily advocated through education in the urban planning programs and universities, and the urban planners are all indoctrinated with these uh-huh. anti free market principles based on the fallacy of the zero sum game, the Malthusian fallacy, and other examples of economic ignorance that characterize socialist and progressive Mm -hmm. ideology
0: you know i was uh, reading just one point inside uh, agenda 21 and I, i bet you've come across it too it's called the precautionary principle and i guess this has become quite standard in a lot of the master plans that that localities adopt and it says this um It comes from Principle 15, UN Agenda 21, quote, Where threats of serious or irreversible harm to people or nature exist, anticipatory action will be taken to prevent damages to human and environmental health, even when full scientific certainty about cause and effect is not available Uh, with the intent of safeguarding the quality of life for current and future generations. So, in other words, the government, if it adopted this, doesn't need to be able to prove to you that there's a problem. They just need to be able to suspect that there's a problem. Yes. And that, to me, that is very dangerous. Yes, in other words, any time an environmentalist
1: decides that some policy – might be a good idea they can then implement that policy regardless of Mm. unjust taking and confiscation of private property and this has gone on around the country in new york there's uh, the adirondack park where all kinds of unjust taking has occurred for decades based on similar kinds of ideas Mm. and not coincidentally the rockefeller family has always had a Dominant presence in the Adirondacks going That's back. That's interesting. 100 yes. years, and they were they were intimately involved in the creation of the Adirondack Park. Wow, and they also donated the land on which the UN is based. So,
0: yeah, these <laughs> things are all. There's a connected. little tight. Yeah, <laughs> I saw another example, and and this came from a actually a there was a fellow given a a lecture by the name of John Anthony, and so I, I credit this to him. He was talking about. A place in uh, Dade County, Miami, Florida, Uh, the government comes in and says um, and claims, okay, folks, you're on a wetland, and uh, people are going to have to move. Uh, You'll only get paid about 30 cents on a dollar. Um, And so the people responded, because these are their homes, they responded by calling in the Army Corps of Engineers. The Army Corps studied it. They concluded, hey, there's no wetland here. There's absolutely no scientific proof of alleged wetland. But the local government went out, pulled out the precautionary principle. Bottom line, the people lost their land. And they lost their land based not on scientific fact, but based on suspicion. And that that just goes against everything we're used to here in America when this sort of totalitarian rule Flows, flows towards us. yes,
1: the, the environmental movement in agenda twenty one uses the language of science, but it 's fundamentally anti science mm. The more they say they 're scientific, as you can see in the precautionary principle, they reject science and yes uh, replace politics with science, and this is a card in higher education as well mm. um, another another aspect of agenda twenty one is the application of its ideas in the community colleges and in lower education as well. This has been going on. Interesting. For years now. Yeah. Um, I hear it in my students. They often parrot ideological socialistic principles that come right out of Agenda 21, such as They don't uh, even realize that they're parroting
0: this. yeah, Yeah. They
1: don't even realize they're parroting it. Oh, my.
0: Well, this is interesting, and I'm so glad you're willing to take your time, Dr. Langbert. Today I'm talking with Dr. Mitchell Langbert. He's an associate professor of business at Brooklyn College. And, um, of course, we don't live near Brooklyn, but fortunately, Dr. Langbert lives just about in um, just a stone's throw away, as it were, compared to Brooklyn here in the the town of Olive. And it's it's a great privilege to have you join us today and join our listeners we 're talking about agenda twenty one um, You know this stuff uh, is not fictional i The other day I got on google i I did a search for agenda twenty one one of the and in particular the precautionary principle. one of the hits that came up was a, a document um, from the city of Seattle and King County. And they, they have it right there online, a policy framework for adopting the precautionary principle submitted by Seattle Precautionary Principle Working Group. And um, yeah, they, they talk about this very thing in there. In order to protect the environment, the precautionary approach shall be widely applied by states according to their capabilities. And it's enough, you know, as I was reading this, I was starting to get almost physically sick as I watch the America we once had, that we once knew, slowly be taken from us by by people that that really don't love freedom. Uh, they're not free people that wanna wanna do this to us. And I was I was so very troubled. And my mind goes back to very simple principles, namely the Ten Commandments: uh, Thou shalt not steal. <laughs> you know, I should be happy. Uh, you know, I should be happy when somebody is blessed. With a good mind, they work hard and they create wealth. I should be happy for that why Why covet that and why want to steal that from people um, you know from god's law point of view, but also just the practical um, more jobs will be created typically when when somebody is successful they 'll be able to hire me or hire you and and that's a good thing. <laughs>
1: You're right, Dan. And uh, I think also the decline in morality in American society coincides with the substitution of these totalitarian viewpoints for what used to be Christian morality.
0: Yeah. There was some, I don't know, in my search, I forget where I found this, um, there were certain principles that are just not open to being questioned. You know, we're, we're seeing this now. Uh, under our current leadership in America, where some things you're not allowed to question anymore, and and one of the precepts is that wealth is socially unjust. What do you mean by that? You know, I I see wealth as the blessing of God, as you live according to His law, word, and you work hard. That's a, that's a good thing, and then of your own uh, will, you can choose to bless others uh, with that wealth. I see that as a wonderful thing, not a socially unjust construct, you know. So, um, the other principle that seems to be sweeping in and almost brainwashing us is this idea that man is destroying the environment. Now, I know there have been cases where, well, for example, like GE years ago was dumping things into the Hudson River. Oh, yeah, that was bad. But in general, to make this uh, statement that man is destroying the environment, or maybe I drove my car out to the post office to get some mail, I'm destroying the environment because I produce too much carbon dioxide, which, by the way, the trees around here really like. <laughs> I don't There's know no about that. There's shortage of trees. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, um, this other thing that man is causing global warming, you know, it's one thing to observe shifts in the temperatures and shifts in the weather patterns, kind of like a slow pendulum moving back and forth. But to um, posit a cause and effect that um, my carbon footprint is causing this, um, that's kind of shaky science, I believe.
1: It's not only shaky science, it's also a kind of, mysticism and I would say at many points polytheism what the environmental movement wants to say is that the earth is a god hmm. oh that's an excellent point the earth god should be worshipped hmm. over god
0: Yeah, yeah the, the lord would say the earth is the lord's the fullness thereof and that he's created this world in fact he even gives us uh, dominion he 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 says, "Okay, I want you to take this responsibility till the earth, you know produce good things, uh, take the raw materials, form it into things that are useful. that is godly dominion that the Lord gave his people,
1: plus the solution to any problem is best found through market processes." Mm-hmm. And to the extent that the government impedes those processes, there will be far less creativity. It's the same idea that the total quality management movement used for uh, improving automobiles. If you get all the employees to come up with ideas as they're working, you get far more ideas. And the Hmm. same thing is true in the free market, that by having thousands of entrepreneurs experimenting, you come up with ideas that supplant the old technology. And if you look historically in the 19th century, there were new forms of transportation being invented every 30 years. In uh, the 1820s, there were the canals. And then in the 1830s and 40s, there were the trains, the uh, railroads. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the automobile was invented in the 1870s. And the Wright brothers invented the Airplane in the early 1900s, and then we had progressivism that began in 1913, and it stopped.
0: That that is a fascinating connection. Yes, it really is. Yes. Well, we have about um, five minutes left to our discussion today. We're talking a little bit about the UN, about this Agenda 21. You called it a treaty, I believe. It's or, or
1: it's like a cut below a treaty. Cut it's, below it. Okay. Yeah,
0: and uh, it's. Um, but it's, it's real. I mean, you can log into to the UN website, and, and they have a link there under sustainable development and that sort of thing. And they have tons of information on this. So it's, it's not a fiction. It is real. I think the danger is when localities feel that they have some obligation to grab from the UN, Agenda 21, and try to bake that in. To their local laws. And that's where we lose our freedoms when that starts to it's, happen. It's
1: not coincidental, Dan. What, what's happened is that the federal government has provided funding for grant money for localities. So the ICLE, or it's called ICLE, the uh, International Council of Local Environmental Initiatives, or uh, they changed their name to Local Governments for Sustainability. And you can okay. look them up on the web as well. And they ha- they are a network of consultants, and these consultants know the right language that's been approved by the United Nations. And the federal government offers grant money to localities, and the town supervisors and the county executives are unable to resist. Uh, Hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars.
0: I am so glad you mentioned that because. Where the money flows, there flows control. We have to always remember that. Yes. Uh, Do you want a little extra money, but then lose some freedoms? I don't think it's worth it. So the
1: towns adopt these plans in response to grant money that they've been offered. Mm. The plans then say they're going to cede authority to various governmental bodies. In New York, Mm. Cuomo started the idea of regionalization that in other words they set up ten regional councils funded by NICERTA and they've been for the last three or four years they've been meeting to discuss how regionally environmental rules based on this pseudoscience yes. can Replace county governance Mm -hmm. and you, you can look up your own region's body on the web if you live in new york in the hudson valley it's called engagement hudson
0: wow now we're almost out of time today i i'm thinking maybe there's someone out there that has an interest in this stuff and would like to learn more let's work it this way if you if you want to contact dr langbert I'll give you the uh, email address here at the station, and then I'll forward anything that comes in to him. And that address is ministry at org. And uh, again, that's ministry at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. But also, um, this can be very depressing, and we don't want it to be. Um, On a positive note, last minute or so, suppose somebody wants to have a positive effect uh, in their locale. Any actions that they can do or encouragement for that person?
1: I would say, first of all, familiarize yourself with your town plan. Mm -hmm. Get to know your supervisor. If you see language involving sustainability in your plan, then they've been influenced by these consultants Mm -hmm. who are carrying forward Agenda 21. And most most towns and most counties have been so influenced, and cities have been so influenced. Second of all, familiarize yourself – with the curricula in your local schools, including the community colleges, oh, good point. Yeah, and get to know what kind of propaganda the students, because I guarantee you, they're being propagandized in your schools, mm. and a lot of it is influenced by Agenda Twenty-One.
0: Well, you're um, a great friend, and uh, I'm amazed that um, you're teaching in a college and. Probably it's uh, things can get a little hostile at times, to your point of view.
1: Yes, sir. I've been slandered, <laughs> sued, attacked, uh, called a racist, and on and wow. on. Well, because I question socialism. That's right. They yeah. can't stand it that there's someone who does. No. Well, yeah. part of
0: socialism is to um, shut down opposition and shut down free speech also. Absolutely. We've seen that time and time again. Absolutely. 100% of the time.
1: You're absolutely right. We see it Uh in the universities. Uh, There's virtually no free speech in the universities. They say it's academic freedom to suppress anyone who disagrees.
0: Well, today we've been talking about uh, the UN and Agenda 21. Um, My friend here is Dr. Mitchell Langbert. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Uh, This entire episode is up on our website. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Quick reminder, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.